morning. It, uh, it's good to be back. For most of you know that uh, my wife and I, our family took a, a two-week leave and just to kind of regroup and reset a little bit. And uh, I think that, that helped tremendously. I want to thank you for your prayers and your, your support and for allowing us to do that. You know, it's, it's great. I, I heard this uh, kind of through different people, different times, uh, that we have a deep bullpen. And uh, it's great to have other guys who are very capable to come preach and, and share God's word. And I, I just am so grateful for the gifting and, and talents that uh, God has given us in this church and the way that you all use them. So thank you for that. It's good to see you here. We're going to be in Luke 18 today. If you would open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18, I'd appreciate it. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use one there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, if you don't own one, you're welcome to take one of those pew rack Bibles home and, uh, and use that. Uh, and I would say use it well. Um, so our time off was refreshing. And uh, I, I think that we're ready. Uh, I know I am and my family, we're ready with God's help and with your help to continue to move forward uh, with the gospel and uh, that we would reach people, we would love people, that we would honor Jesus in all that we do. Um, I do want to give you a couple of announcements. I know Alistair mentioned uh, one of these. Uh, the hanging of the boughs, and, and I know people tend to kind of come, come in late sometimes too uh, and miss announcements, but the hanging, hanging of the boughs is happening uh, this Friday night, and it's just to get together and to decorate and to get our, get our families and our mindset in that Advent season as we think about Christ and, uh, and Him coming during that Christmas time. So it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for your family to come down and participate, uh, whether you're young and old or have a family uh, at home still or not. Come down, be a part of this family, and I would just encourage you to do that. I'll be sharing a little bit of scripture and just a little bit of a devotional uh, to start off the Advent season, and then we'll kind of break into groups. There'll be something for, for kids to do. We'll be making ornaments with Nikki Hayes, and they'll be helping decorate the tree in the lobby, and we'll just have different places where everyone can participate. Uh, pizza is going to be provided for that, so if you, if you want to come and eat, call the office and let us know, and we'll make sure we have enough food. Uh, if you want to just come participate and, and you're good without food, just, just come, be a part of that. Uh, we'd love to see you there. We do have um, a, a Christmas series coming up starting next week. Uh, we'll start a series that is called His Na- or He Will Be Named uh, after a passage in Isaiah where we, we hear it in the Old, uh, old English in uh, King James, um, and He Shall Be Called, right? Or He Will Be Called. And we'll talk about the names of God in, in that passage. But we're going to expound the passage in Isaiah throughout the month of December. It uh, should be a great time just to prepare our hearts for that. I want to let you know also that uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve both fall on Sundays this year. And we are going to do uh, one celebration service for each of those Sundays. So there'll be one service, not two, on Christmas Eve at 1030. And there'll be one service, not two, on New Year's Eve at 1030. Okay, two weeks in a row, just one big family service, come celebrate. We know that's a time where there's a lot of family, a lot of plans, a lot of things are going on. So we wanted to make it simple for everyone involved. If you are in a Sunday school class or if you are a teacher of a Sunday school class, uh, that is still an option. Uh, talk to your, your Sunday school teacher. As far as adults go, there, there will be no children's Sunday school. But talk to the adults uh, in your class or talk to your teacher, and they'll, they'll let you know whether or not their class will meet. And they'll probably be at 9 o'clock on those mornings here at the church. The building will be open and available for that. Okay? So two celebration Sundays in a row, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve uh, of next month. Okay? Well, we are going to be in Luke uh, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Um, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. You know, we talk about the Advent season coming up, but this is still technically Thanksgiving weekend, right? And we can still be thankful, right? Uh, and, and, you know, as, as I'm reminded, as I think about Thanksgiving and thankfulness, uh, one of the things that really imprinted on my heart as I thought, I knew I'd be preaching this, right? I had some time off. I knew this was a sermon I'd be coming back with. And, and I just felt this, this genuine thankfulness for, 
for how you have loved one another, how you have loved my family, how you have prayed for one another, how you have prayed for my family, how we, how we together come together and, and serve one another. And that, that is truly humbling, isn't it, when people do that for one another? And, and as you're humbled, then you really have this actual genuineness, th- genuine thankfulness that comes, comes to bear, right? It comes up to fruition, that I'm actually genuinely thankful. And I think even during like the holidays like this or Thanksgiving or Christmas, when your, your family gathers around the, the table and you're we're getting ready to pray, and you're going to pray for the, the food and just for the time, uh, we tend to have these cliche prayers sometimes. Have you ever, ever done that? Where I mean, I, I do it without thinking sometimes, and I've got to really slow myself down and think, what, what do I really want to say to God? Because we'll, we'll start off, oh, dear Jesus or Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this food and for this time. And we rattle off a bunch of things we're thankful for before we even really have a time to process what we're really thankful for. Have you ever done that? Not just me? You, you kind of spout it off and you, you get ahead of the game and you really didn't stop and ask, why am I really thankful? Where is that thankfulness coming from? I, I think we can spout things off in a cliche kind of way and not be genuinely thankful, not be truly thankful. So today I want us to look at what, what it is to be truly thankful and, and where that comes from from in the heart of humility to, in order to be genuinely thankful, okay? Let's pray and we'll read our passage together. Father, as we come to you today, we come to you acknowledging that you are our everything and we are truly thankful. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you pursue us. We thank you that you comfort us and give us strength. We thank you that you provided Jesus to pay for our sin, to be what we couldn't be. And as we gather, it's, it's to celebrate, it's to show our gratitude, it's to worship you in thanksgiving for all that you have done. God, I ask now as we go to your word that, that you would humble our hearts so we can continue to be thankful in the most genuine way. That you would challenge us and shape us from your word, conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in and through us. And we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. We'll read this whole parable 9 through 14 together. You ready? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen? So let's talk about true thankfulness. And I think if you look at this text you see that there was a, a false thankfulness happening, wasn't there? The, the Pharisee said, thank God I am not like these other people. And, and he had a thankfulness really not to God for anything, but mostly to himself for being all that he thought he should be. And this was a false thankfulness. So today we want to look at, at true thankfulness and what that looks like. So number one, true thankfulness must start from inside of you. It must start from inside of you. Notice verse 9. Verse 9. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. You know, Jesus at times speaks in parables and, and speaks in stories. And what he ends up doing, he, he talks a lot about a certain type of person, right? Or a certain group of people. He'll let us know, like, you know, you know how these people are and how these people get, but we don't want to be like that. So we can kind of identify and relate, or we think of someone in our mind, oh yeah, I, I know someone like that. But that's not what this parable says, is it? Jesus didn't start talking about people. What did he do? He started talking to them. So he's face-to-face with sinners. He's face-to-face with Pharisees. And he, he knows that they are self-righteous. These Pharisees come all religious and all ready to be, be this man or woman, this person of religion, right? All dressed the way, the way they should be dressed, all put together the way they should put together, kind of, right? But, but Jesus sees that there's just self-righteousness there, and there's, there's nothing about humility in their life. There's nothing about actual obedience to God. It's just to look good. And while they're standing there, while they're sitting, or while they're in his presence, he speaks to them. And it's so important, if you and I are to develop true thankfulness, it has to start in me, with Jesus speaking to me. I've gone to marriage conferences and marriage retreats, right? And, and, and whether our marriage is great or bad, it doesn't matter. It's just it's awesome to be filled and encouraged and taught from the Scriptures and from people who have gone before and have other longer life storms. But one of the things that, that is kind of a resounding thing that these people say in these conferences, and it's really important, I think, every time we come here on Sunday mornings, is this. They say, when you listen today, when you hear what God's Word has to say to you, don't elbow your partner. Don't elbow your spouse. And you know how it gets. You know how it is. You've done it before. Are you listening to this? You make sure you're listening. You listen and put that down. You listen to what he's saying. He's talking to you. Because we're really good at knowing when someone's talking about someone else. But we're not very good at listening for when God is talking and speaking to us. So I want you to think right now, are you ready to listen to, you, to God's word for yourself? Or are you wanting to poke your neighbor, poke your spouse. Say, hey, listen up. This is for you, right? Now listen, we, we search the scriptures together and, and as we do, we will undoubtedly find and see truths that are relevant and would benefit our friends, right? They would benefit our neighbors, that would benefit our coworkers, would benefit our parents or benefit our children or benefit even our spouses. It's in there. It would benefit them for sure. But the intention of the message of the gospel is to first cut to the core of you and cut to the core of me individually. This message will first judge my thoughts and my attitudes about Jesus. Amen? So, our attitude, if we want to truly be thankful, we have to start with an attitude that says, I need to listen up. And when we do that, we will likely see ourselves in what Jesus says and is, or is about to say. But the Pharisees did not. It was all about an outward expression so they could look good and that others should listen up. Turn to Matthew. Keep your, keep your ribbon here or your bookmark here in, in Luke. Uh, go to Matthew. It's a, it's a couple books before Luke. We're going to be in Matthew 21 and then Matthew 23 right after that. Listen, the, the Pharisees uh, were too busy to listen. They were too busy trusting in their own righteousness, in their own self, self-worth or their own moral compass. 
to listen to what God would teach them. So in, in Matthew 21, if we go to 21, uh, verse 31, and it's verse 31 kind of B, halfway through. And I encourage you, go, go home and read this passage. Read, read these parables. Don't just settle for what the little text I have in this part of it. But go read it for more context. But Jesus said to them in the, in the second part of verse 31, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John, that's John the baptizer, right, came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds and then believe in him or believe him. See, there's this mindset that these Pharisees had that said, it's not, it's not about what I can learn. I can't learn anything. I've been taught everything. I know it all. It's about how good I look and about how, how worthless you are, and you need to measure up to me. And Jesus was cutting them to the core saying, listen, you are self-righteous, and that will get you nowhere. It will get you nowhere. This is about you and me changing our minds and believing him. Go to Matthew 23. It's a couple pages over. Matthew 23, verses 3 through 5. Jesus again spoke to the crowds about the Pharisees. He says, therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. So yeah, there's some practices. Be compassionate, be loving, be generous. Observe the things that they're talking about. Uh, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. And, and see, that's, that's the mentality and attitude the Pharisees had. We're self-righteous. We, we've got this covered. We don't need anything else. And the sinners and tax, tax collectors, the, the notorious, were around saying, there's got to be something. There's got to be something better than, than this, this show that we're watching in these Pharisees. And Jesus was speaking to their hearts. And so we've got to look inside of ourselves. We've got to let Jesus speak to our hearts if we want to be truly thankful. Because true thankfulness can only start from our own humility. When you and I set ourselves aside and say, what does God have in store for me? All right, we're going back to Luke chapter 18. So true thankfulness, now number two, that leads us to this, it is not proud of oneself. True thankfulness is not proud of oneself. Let's look at our text, uh, 18 verses 11 and 12. It said, The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything that I get. Do you hear the pride in that statement? Was he my question really is, was he even really praying to God? Or was he just speaking about his greatness and thanking God that he was so great. You know, although standing was an acceptable posture of prayer, we see Jesus here speaking to those who were self-righteous, right? So we know that this, this example, this Pharisee who was praying, was not really righteous. He was self-righteous. And, and although the posture was okay, Jesus is using this Pharisee as an example of the proud he was using his posture, it was, it was obviously about self-promotion. 
and, his, and he desired to show off his superior spirituality. He wanted to make sure everyone around him knew how great he was. Here's, in, in essence, what he was saying. Thank you, God, for me. I'm obviously your gift to the world. I look the part, right? God, as you can see, I am so morally valuable that I am the only one worthy to be looked at as righteous. That's what he was saying, wasn't he? I've got, I've got a can. I want to show you something. I got this as a gag gift a while ago, and I, I thought it applied. This is an energy drink, which doesn't do well with me, but this is an energy drink, and it's a can of, I love being awesome. <laughs> I love being awesome, right? That's the can. It's, I, lo- I love being awesome. And, and it's a gag gift, and it, it meant a lot to me, but it's the mentality of many of us. And obviously, this Pharisee carried around a can of, I love being awesome, everywhere he went right? That's what he would, he would just show up and make sure everyone knew, I love being awesome. Isn't it great how awesome I am, right? Yeah, that's what this Pharisee was doing. And, and many of us do this without realizing it. Many of us do it, maybe not as blatantly as this Pharisee, but we definitely find ourselves in a posture of saying, I'm a good person. I'm okay. I've got this figured out. God, I don't need God right now. God has other things to, to worry about. But when I'm saying that I'm a good person, even if I'm, if I'm not blatantly saying it in, the, in a big crowded area, and I just go home and I'm like, oh, God, you, you know, you got lots to do. I, I'll, just, I'll take care of what's going on here. I'm, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm, I've got things figured out. What we're doing is opening up our can of I love being awesome. And we keep that in our back pocket and it's, oh, I don't, need, I don't really need God. And God wants us to understand that, that this is his can, not ours. God is awesome, and we need him with everything, with everything and for everything that we have. This Pharisee was confident in his own virtue, being more than enough to earn favor with God. And although he was blatant, and we kind of jokingly speak how blatant it is, some of us are the same way. We're confident in our own virtue, being more than enough to please God, and it is so wrong. This, fa- this Pharisee was dead wrong, and sometimes we are too. God's grace is only sufficient in our weakness. God's grace is only sufficient in our weakness. Not in our pride, not in our ego, not in our moral superiority. God's grace is only sufficient in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? In pride? No, in in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, I will thank all the more gladly about my weakness, my humility, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Listen, what we get to boast about is not ourselves because we are nothing. And when you compare yourself to God, if you could stand before God and say, God, look how awesome I am. You're letting me in, right? Who do you think you are? God is so holy and so pure and so perfect. And the, this other, this tax collector, knew the depth of his own sin. He understood the disconnect between his perfection or his righteousness and a holy God's righteousness. And we ought to think that way too, that, that God's, God's power and his grace is sufficient for us and it's made perfect in our weakness, not in our pride. And when we choose weakness, when we choose humility, we can have true thankfulness because we will boast more gladly so Christ's power would rest 
on us. Our boast or true thankfulness should only be in our weakness and an inability to measure up. We are truly thankful because we know that Christ is sufficient and we are not. Amen? Christ is sufficient. Well, that leads us to number three. True thankfulness understands the gravity of one's sin and God's wrath. When we're truly thankful, it means we've understood the gravity of our own sin and God's wrath. Let's look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. See, this is a perspective that we should have. If we, if we started, right, this is where we started. We started from the internal searching, letting God's word speak to us individually, not your partner, right? No elbow action going on. That you and I would listen to God for our own change inside of our own heart. It starts with this, this searching our own heart, and this is where it should lead us. It leads us to an attitude of deep and despairing humility. Deep and despairing humility. The tax collector's posture showed how unworthy he felt as he stood at the fringe and wouldn't dare to look to heaven. He felt unworthy. Why? Well, he understood the depth of his sin and the shame, and he knew that he was deserving of God's punishment. Now, I want us to understand something. We preach God's love. We preach God's mercy. We preach God's grace. That is what it is all about. But we, if we don't understand that there was the wrath of God, that the wrath of God is real, that punishment for sin is real, we don't quite understand the depth of God's grace, do we? When we understand what we really deserve and then what God's willing to give us, that is incalculable compared to just knowing, oh, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you this much that he poured his wrath against you on his son Jesus on the cross. And the son was willing to, to become obedient to death and to take your place and to take my place. He understood the depth, this, this tax collector understood the depth of his shame and he knew he was deserving of punishment. He knew the true condition of his own heart. And like Jeremiah says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else, and incurable, who can understand it? When we really look inside of our heart, we will find something that is immeasurably evil and wicked against God, and in desperate, in desperate, desperate need of a change. And what did he, what did he say? He said, God, he, he struck his chest knowing that this heart inside of his chest was wrong and evil, and he cried out to God, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. What he was saying was, God, I, just want, I, don't want to, I want to escape your wrath. I want your forgiveness. I want your atonement. He knew he was a sinner and his heart was wicked. He knew he needed mercy and grace. And that's how he approached God, humbly, ready to receive it. And when you approach God humbly for his grace, he gives it. He lavishes it out on you. So you and I can be thankful and boast about it. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy. And keep your finger here. 1 Timothy is towards the end of the Bible. We keep going behind Luke. Not quite to Hebrews. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Or James or Revelation, you've gone really too far. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 15 and 16 together. 
This is, this is Paul writing to Timothy and, and describing the same, the same depth of feeling that, that Paul understands. He understands his heart is evil and wicked. He understands the, the, the chasm that is between him and God and, and what is needed to close that is the grace of Christ. The tax collector acknowledges the same thing that Paul does here. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What he's saying is, listen up. Open your heart. Listen up. Christ Jesus came into the world to, to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy because of this, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. You see, there's an example that we are setting when we humble ourselves and are truly responsive and thankful to God. We're showing the world that they too can understand and know the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. If I puff myself up instead, if I, if I make myself have an ego and I, if I carry around a can of I love being awesome, you can't measure up because you don't have one. But you want one and you'll spend your whole life despairingly trying to find one and reach one and you'll never get it. What Jesus offers is humility. He says, that, you know, that can's nothing. That can means nothing. Only what Christ did and what Christ can do in and through you and for you is what matters. He says, I receive mercy because of this so that in me, the worst of the sinners, Christ might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. There is life to be had in Jesus Christ. And as we humble ourselves, as we acknowledge the fact that we have sin inside of us and we need Jesus, we open ourselves up to the, the opportunity to receive his grace and mercy. And as we keep that humble attitude and receive the gift of God, we become truly, truly thankful. Now, although there is definite and just punishment for sin, we know that, in, that God in Christ is extending his mercy to the humble sinner's heart. And, and Romans tells us this, that it's, it's God's mercy and God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So when we understand the depth of our sin and, the, and, and to the extreme that Jesus went to draw us to himself and to forgive us, now that is what, that kindness of God, that mercy of God is what leads us to repentance, that leads us to change our heart and turn from ourselves and for, from our awesomeness and lay that aside for Christ's awesomeness for his righteousness, which is far beyond anything we could ever have. And that leads us to number four. True thankfulness believes that one is justified by God alone. They believe one is justified by God alone. So if you're truly thankful, you get this. You understand that, that there's nothing that you can do apart from him. Let's look at verse 18, or verse 14 of chapter 18. So he, he was striking his chest, saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're exalting yourself right now, you will be humbled in a way that you do not want to be humbled. You will suffer the just and wrath of, of God. But if you humble yourself today, God will reach down and pick you up out of this mire, out of the pit, out of the despair, out of the sin, and he will cleanse you and he will lift you up because he is good enough to do it. 
And there's this, this word, justified. He went down to his house, justified. And I, I've, I've said this before. I want to describe this again to you, though. Uh, justified, you can say the word, and then you, you say justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. And, and there's more to it than that. I want to really make us understand this, okay? Thanksgiving Day, the president always does what? He pardons a turkey, right? That's tradition, I guess. And, and so let's talk about the idea of a pardon, Let's say you've committed a heinous crime and you've gone to, to jail, to prison, right? And you're serving a long term or a long sentence and you're going to be there. You're going to be there, right? You've done something wrong. But when the, when the governor or president pardons you, what happens? No, you're not forgiven. You're what? You're released. You're released from the punishment or payment of the crime. The governor, governor can't forgive you. Right? The president can't forgive you because the act was against a person, a victim, or the victim's family. Correct? So th- there are people who are actually pardoned, released from prison. They're freed. They don't have to pay the consequences of their sin. But there are people that are released that are never, ever forgiven by the family. The family can never find it in themselves to forgive what they did. So that justification is not complete. Yeah, they're, they're released, but that, that justification is not complete. On the contrary, there are, there are families and victims who find themselves in a place where they can genuinely go to that person who committed this act and say, we or I forgive you. I forgive you. It's, it's like it didn't happen to me. I'm letting it go. But that person in prison may never, ever find a release, may never, ever be pardoned for the crime. They may serve the rest of their life in jail for that crime. They're still forgiven, aren't they? But they're not totally justified. Because justified not only releases you from the penalty, the consequences of sin, it also says that you're forgiven and I'm not holding this against you anymore. And see, that's what Jesus does. For you and I, we, he, he wipes our sin away and says it's as far as the east is from the west. Your sins are removed from you and it's on the bottom of the ocean floor. And, and the punishment, the penalty for the crime has been paid. It's done. What you deserved, what I deserved for my sin was placed on Jesus. God's wrath was placed on Jesus to take my punishment so I could have a pardon, and he shed his blood so I could have forgiveness. It's the whole package, isn't it? It's both forgiveness and a pardon. It's called justification or being justified. And it is then just as if I'd never sinned. There's no, the forgiveness is there, it's gone. The sin is gone, it's like it never happened. And there's no punishment for a sin that I didn't commit. It's gone. I'm pardoned. And that's how you go back justified. And we're tr- the truly thankful believes that justification comes from God alone and that through the grace of Christ on the cross. And James tells us that he gives greater grace and he says, therefore, God resists the proud. He resi- if, you're, if you're saying I'm awesome and I, I'm, I've got it all together, I'll work on it myself. My moral superiority is far better than anyone else, so I'm good. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want God's grace. See, as we receive the the gift of God and God's grace, our humble hearts have have been lifted and pulled up out of the mire and out of the pit of despair, out of the pit of shame. And our humble hearts have become thankful because He did that. Our boasting should never be about how great we are. Or, so, or thankful of how good we've been should be how great God is. 
He has done so much for us through the cross. And my prayer, and I, and I pray this all the time, that you and I would be truly thankful from the humility in our hearts for what Christ has done for us. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray.